Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni here. John, we have an interesting case from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit to talk about. We don't always jump on these cases out of the D.C. Circuit, but uh, but this one was one that really uh, had a lot of effect on folks, I would say nationally, but certainly here uh, in the D.C. area. And it revolves around the Black Lives Matter uh, protests that took place uh, back in the summer of uh, 2020. And the case is Frederick Douglass Foundation, Inc., the District of Columbia. And the facts are, are super interesting. Uh, essentially, what happened is there, was, there were two groups. Uh, one is the, the Frederick, Frederick Douglass uh, Foundation. And the other one is a, is a student pro-life uh, a student group. And uh, students, uh, let's see, the Students for Life of America. And these two groups were protesting during the same time period as the Black Lives Matter protests were happening in Washington, D.C., and they were engaged in some of the same conduct. And for those who don't know or, or, or weren't sort of paying attention to the specifics of what happened in D.C., there was a lot of not just chalking, but graffiti and painting sidewalks and painting buildings. And there was a lot of of uh, broken windows and things like and, that too, but and I think that the government, uh, I think Bowser, because we're right above it, our office is very close to here. Yeah, I think they allowed like the government to paint Black Lives Matter in the street over by Jackson Square. So initially, they th- th- that was done by protesters. Yeah, uh, they're near Lafayette Park, Lafayette Square, Lafayette outside of the White House. Uh, but then ultimately, the government came in and and did a permanent sort of street right. painting with that same message of, of Black Lives Matter. Now. Interestingly, the the court says, well, that's government speech, and that's not part of this. And it made the interesting additional point. They said, the fact that the government has spoken on something, we're not going to use that as evidence or proof that the government is engaged in viewpoint discrimination, that they're entitled to their speech, and there's sort of nothing that, that flows from that. But what these protesters, uh, these pro-life protesters said is, look, we we chalked on the sidewalk that uh, that preborn black lives matter. And we said uh, that, uh, you know, we, we made this point and, or excuse me, I said that in reverse black preborn lives matter. I guess they said they, they had the, the order of the words differently than I said it. So they chalked that on the sidewalk and you know what happened to them? They got arrested. They got arrested for chalking that on the sidewalk. And the, um, uh, and they said, uh, wait a minute, how come th- these other protesters can write black lives matter on the sidewalk and nothing happens to them. And we walk, we write black preborn lives matter on a public sidewalk and we get arrested. This can't be, this can't be right. And in chalk and in chalk and in, and in chalk that, that, uh, that washes away, uh, as well. So the, uh, uh, so they brought a lawsuit, uh, in, and there were several different claims at the district uh, court level. Uh, but the two that, uh, that survived to be argued as part of this appeal were a First Amendment claim 
uh, essentially uh, saying that there was discrimination on the basis of viewpoint uh, and an equal protection uh, Fifth Amendment uh, claim saying that there's unequal treatment here uh, across the two groups. And so the the, the D.C. Circuit, uh, and by the way, the district judge looked at both of those issues, said mm, this is essentially the same issue. Uh, and because there wasn't any intentional discrimination on the part of uh, of the district, there's this really high bar that you have to meet under the law to show that the government because it's it's considered a matter of prosecutorial discretion right. and to get past that sort of assumption of that 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 the executive is entitled to unreviewable judicially unreviewable prosecutorial discretion you really have to uh, have it meet this very high bar to show that that there's a policy of of uh, intentionally letting some people get away with something and not letting other people get away with something and uh, and the district judge said, yeah, that bar is not because met. of their message, because of their message. That's right. And the district judge said, yeah, that's not that's not that's not met here. Well, the D.C. Circuit looked at that same set of of facts and the same law, and they came to a different conclusion. And and let me uh, unanimously, unanimously. And and uh, there's a there is a opinion concurring in the judgment that we'll get to uh, hopefully later by by Judge Wilkins. But the majority opinion was written by. A judge Naomi Rao, and uh, I'm proud to say Judge Rao was a classmate of mine in, in law school. I've known her for a long time. Uh, and the other judge on the panel was Judge Childs, who's brand new on the D.C. Circuit, a, a Biden appointee. She's the one who replaced Justice Jackson when Jackson was elevated uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court. So uh, Childs was actually on the shortlist for the Supreme Court herself. You may recall, I think Lindsey Graham was promoting her because she's from South Carolina. Uh, but uh, anyway, she ultimately filled that slot on the D.C. Circuit. Uh, and so uh, so you have Judge Judges Rauch, uh, Wilkins and Childs, and they they looked at this differently. And they said, well, first of all, when you're let, let's look at the First Amendment claim. So the First Amendment pro- prohibits government discrimination on the basis of viewpoint. And there's nothing in First Amendment doctrine that says that there's this high bar or that you have to show intentional discrimination on the part of the government. If they're discriminating on the basis of viewpoint, that's all you have to show. You don't have to show that it was deliberate. You don't have to show that there's a policy. You don't have to show there's no high bar in the First Amendment context. All you have to show is they discriminated on the basis of viewpoint, full stop. And the, the, the judges here said, look, and they did, and they, they run through the facts and they say, look, you had, uh, you had the, the Black Lives Matter protesters writing all over the place. Uh, they could have, uh, you know, they could have been stopped at any time. And, and the government here said, well, now, wait a minute, we had other reasons why we didn't protest or why we didn't arrest those folks. We thought it would have made matters worse if we'd arrested them. Uh, you know, it could have it could have gotten things could have gotten out of hand. We didn't have enough personnel to arrest them. It was a much different situation. And then over here with the with the pro-life protesters, you know, they're uh, they didn't quite say this, but, you know, they're meek and they're mild and nothing was going to happen if we just shut them down. So that was easy to shut down. That's not quite what they said, but it was essentially the you know, the the thrust of the argument. And the court wasn't buying that. And they said, no, 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 no. Look, and it was exactly the 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 example you used before, John, of, of they, they wrote the Black Lives Matter painting on the, in fact, it's now called Black Lives Matter Plaza there right. uh, on uh, 
uh, on what is that? 16th, 16th Street, and, 16th, uh, and 16th and H, or yeah. between like uh, H and I, 16th something and like H. that. H, 16th so, and I. Uh, so the, um, uh, but what happened after the government wrote that message, like apparently within like that next day or within a very short period of time after that, some protesters came in and wrote in yellow. So it already said Black Lives Matter and they added equals defund the police. And that wasn't a giant protest. There weren't hundreds of people around. The police were standing right there when they did it and they let them do it and they let them get away with it. And they easily could have done something about it. They didn't. And they left the message there for weeks. Uh, and eventually uh, they they erased that and they left the Black Lives Matter, but they erased the part that uh, that, that those folks added. And so the court looked at that fact pattern and said, look, you're, it's clearly a policy on the part of, uh, of the administration uh, that, uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me back off of, of that. They said, look, you've, you've clearly treated these two situations differently. And under the, uh, under the First Amendment, that's all you have to show. Then they looked at the equal protection claim and they said, well, the story is a little different when it comes to equal protection because there is this this high bar, you do have to show that it's a policy. You do have to show uh, that that there was this kind of intentionality around it, and so forth. And the court uh, unanimously found that 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 uh, had not been uh, achieved here. That that high bar. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say unanimously. But two of the three judges said that high bar, you know, hadn't been hadn't been met, uh, and and therefore um, they they denied the equal protection uh, aspect of the claim. But it doesn't matter because the relief that they were seeking, they could get it under either one of right. the, you know, of the uh, theories that they were, uh, that they were propounding. Now, in terms of what happens when it goes back to the district court, we'll have to wait and see because the, the court said that it's up to the district court to have the first opportunity to, to shape the, the injunction. The, the parties were asking uh, sort of to, to have a, to sort of permanently be, be allowed to you know, to chalk on sidewalks kind of thing. Like, eh, no, 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 no. Because the, the accusation here wasn't that the law was unlawful. The, the, the DC law on defacing property and so forth, that's okay. It's that they were enforcing it in a differential way. And so the injunction can say you can't enforce it differentially, but the city essentially, as I read it, John has a choice. You can either let everybody chalk or let nobody chalk. I, I think that's right. And I do, I, Judge Boesberg was below and I once got him reversed in the DC circuit. And I can see him right now because when it comes down, he looks and then he says, well, counselor, what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure he's going to say that to them. Right, right. And, and the counselor in this case is Erin Hawley, by the way. So, so props, uh, props to her uh, and the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom for, for the victory in this case. Uh, Aaron's uh, is uh, was a longtime partner at uh, Kirkland and Ellis, and is the spouse of uh, Senator Josh Hawley of of Missouri. But uh, but terrific result here, uh, good lawyering, and you know really I was pleased to see as much unanimity as there was on on the court. Judge Wilkins in the concurrence essentially just said, uh, you know I do think that that this kind of barrier or this this higher standard applies in the First Amendment context too. But I just think that they met it here, uh, that, that there was enough proof of a policy or enough proof of, you know, of what was was going on here that uh, that I would I would reach the same result, but I would reach it in a slightly different, uh, different way. Uh, the uh, uh, so so kudos to to Judge Rao and the rest uh, of the panel. 
And uh, we'll, we'll have to see if this has an effect on any other cases that are in the pipeline, including Missouri v. Biden and some of the other uh, cases like that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Administrative Static, and uh, we ha- we've had uh, perhaps you've seen in the news um, uh, uh, back and forth and a little outrage that a new um, regulation has been issued that no monies will go to fund um, programs with um, with schools that have archery programs or riflery programs, um, and the, there are many of these, particularly safety. Um, but the archery programs are are just that they're just archery programs where you have after school or even or even classes on how to shoot bows and you know you put up the targets and um, you teach people how to do that and they're all being defunded uh, by the Department of Education and uh, there was a huge outrage this must be part of a culture war the administration's doing this because it doesn't like hunting and this sort of thing and um, but we took a look at it, and it does appear that in a rush, in a rush to address a problem. In a rush to bipartisanship, I would yes, say. Yes, exactly, exactly. Congress went ahead, and uh, after one of these school shootings, they, they passed a, a bill. The 2022 Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Yes, and they said that they weren't – that any, um, any uh, weapon – uh, deadly weapon could not be uh, part of any school program. Basically, is what it said, and uh, and that and and it's very hard not to say that bows and arrows are not are don't fall into that. I think it. I think that uh, almost any court in the land would say that a bow is like that. Certainly, rifles are like that. Yeah, eighteen U.S.C. section nine thirty prohibits firearms and dangerous weapons in federal facilities. And defines dangerous weapons as, quote, a weapon, device, instrument, material, or substance, animate or inanimate, that's used for or is readily capable of causing death or serious bodily injury, except that such term does not include a pocket knife with a blade of less than two and a half inches uh, in length. So as John said, the question is really whether a hunting bow is a dangerous weapon readily capable of causing death or serious injury. Yeah, and I think it is, or otherwise, all those Robin Hood movies would make no sense. Um, I think that yeah. I think also that um, the the other thing about it is that mo- most of these programs are to teach safety, and so that there isn't bodily harm. But they've worded the statute, and they've worded uh, they they passed this through. Um, I think I saw a tweet that Rand Paul tried to get this removed or or modified, and they didn't vote for it. Yeah, he sure did. He uh, he tweeted out uh, that. That uh, just what you said that that there was a uh, that there was an effort, and I've got his his tweet right here. He said the provision I fought to have stripped from the gun control bill is now being used to justify at POTUS's crackdown on archery and hunting courses. If my amendment had been adopted instead of blocked, 
this wouldn't be happening, but the fight isn't over yet. Well, I think he's right, John. I think if his amendment, I, and I haven't looked at his amendment, right. but obviously he realized that the current language was a problem and tried to do something about it. And for whatever reason, other people you know, didn't, didn't listen to him. Uh, can, can I come back though to, to that, the actual statutory language? One of the things that, uh, yeah. that we always uh, were, were taught back in law school is never, uh, never paraphrase, a, never paraphrase right. a statute. So if somebody was listening to that and they said, well, now, wait a minute, you said federal facilities and these local schools aren't federal facilities. Well, the definition uh, came from 18 USC 930, but the, this particular uh, prohibition on federal dollars going to elementary and secondary schools uh, under Section 13401 of, of the Bipartisan Safer uh, Communities Act says federal funds shall not be used, quote, for the provision to any person of a dangerous weapon as defined in Section 930 or training in the use of a dangerous weapon. So it, there is a schools aspect of it here. So if you're essentially, if you get federal funding for your school, then you can't uh, provide a dangerous weapon or training in the use of a dangerous weapon in your school. You know, and I also think of like police academy type stuff that you have in high schools. I mean, I oh, I, I thought you meant the police no, academy movies. No, I did I not. Like, <laughs> I did not. But that's a bad example of of, of training of, in firearms uh, <laughs> of safe use of yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> but but um, so this this is going to have repercussions, but I don't think it's an administrative law problem. It's a Congress problem. And I bet you that they're so used to just say, oh, let me pass my feel-good bill. Um, And of course, the administration won't do anything here. But, you know, I think with that kind of language, I I can't blame the regulators. I think they're following the law. I think so, too. I think it's hard (laughs) to read that language and say, oh, I mean, I I suppose you could say you can you can do uh, archery with uh, suction cups on the end of it or something like that. Well, I was thinking fencing. Right. Mm. So the fencing. um, With the cork. Yeah, they have. They always have. We always have. And now even they have um, just uh, electric monitors so that you, you know if you've got a touch or not. And but if you take that off, it becomes a deadly weapon. And if you and and, and, and you are being trained, right, I suppose. Exactly. And you could you could uh, fool around with it. There's a bunch. If you watch any uh, of these whodunits like Nero Wolf or something, they always have these fencing signs. Somebody has taken the cap off and the guy gets killed. Right. So um, I think that that uh, I'm wondering well, if, if Alec Baldwin's around. Right. <laughs> exactly. But I'm worried about I, I wonder if there, we're not going to see this with fencing. Um and uh, other other things like that, and um, and so I, I'm I'm. Um, what about baseball? Yeah, there's, well, there's <laughs> is that training in the use of a of a deadly weapon? Well, baseball. Or what that, about martial arts? I mean, that's there's certainly uh, right, but they they wouldn't. I think that that's your hands shorter than a blade. You know, I think they'd be safe because it's just your body. Oh well, I was thinking of some of the uh, like oh, nunchucks. Oh and, yeah, you know, yeah, things, yeah, they're out. Things like they're that. out. Nunchucks yeah. are out. Yeah. I, I think I think you're absolutely correct about that. But um, it does bring up you, we forget. And this is another thing with federal rules. It's a big country. People do all kinds of different things in this country as far as what they what they do education on. 
Um, it's not one size fits all. And there are things that they don't do in certain big cities and certain things they do out in rural areas. Some things they do do in cities. Um, there's, there's archery programs there and, and things you wouldn't expect because somebody, somebody started it up. They had an interest in it. Every it, it got a lot of attraction. And so they didn't do a survey of how many schools had this, that, or the other thing. They rushed this in there. And now all those kids, particularly who are being trained in this stuff, um, are, are not, are not going to have that. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I, and I don't know how, how many archery programs there are versus how many riflery programs or, or what have you, but, uh, but certainly I know that, uh, you know, I got a shotgun for my 12th birthday and uh, there's a, there's a funny picture actually, John, you can see me opening it and with a big smile on my face when I see what's in the box and you can see the look of horror on my sister's face behind, yeah. <laughs> behind me, like you got him a what? <laughs> Uh, but I was not allowed to use that until I completed the hunter safety training course. Now that was not hard to say it wasn't in the public school. It actually was in the public school. It was not part of the daytime curriculum. It was done in the school cafeteria though. Uh, and I, I think by the state of Kansas, you know, had some sort of hunter safety certification thing that you had to, had to do and how to use the, how to use the gun. And you, know, you don't point it at people and, you know, all these sorts of basic, uh, gun handling rules. And that was for a shotgun, uh, for hunting, you know, hunting birds. And I, I'm not saying shotguns are never used in, in these school shootings, but you don't see a lot, uh, of shotguns because no. they're, they're really very inefficient. If, if your goal is Particularly to bird shot. Yeah. Uh, if your goal is to, to hurt people. So, um, uh, you could imagine writing a rule that would achieve most of what they wanted to achieve here without, taking out the archery programs and the, and by the way, archery isn't something that's been used a lot in these no, school shootings. No, you either. don't see, you don't see the reload on those is not great. I, I, the, I'll say the other thing about it is, you know, Scalia always used to tell the story about going on the subway with his rifles to his riflery class in New York city. And I thought that was apocryphal, but my father did the same thing later than that. So it would be like the forties and early fifties and all these kids would be on, they'd have 22s, I think is what they were. And they'd right. have 22s on the subway as they headed off to school, which now I, I think you, you can't conceive of it, but there are places in the country where you can. Well, and paintball is is yeah. huge. And, yes. and there's, there's other things like paint, like airsoft or whatever right. that, I mean, these are, uh, I, I don't know that there's courses on them in the school, right. but, um, but, but it's certainly probably after that, school stuff though. I bet anything there's clubs. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised at, at all, particularly in places where this kind of thing is, is really popular places like Kansas and Kentucky and Montana and what have you. And uh, so I think we're going to see since that Rand Paul, I think we're going to see congressional action on this. I think it's going to be widespread enough, um, but there'll probably be fights about it now. Now that it's the law, the folks who are really anti-gun and anti uh, I, I don't know. There's an anti-archery crowd, but there must be, you know, I, it's being... well, the sheriff of Nottingham, certainly. <laughs> yes. He's totally don't know. against it. Don't know who else, but, uh, <laughs> he's totally, totally against it. But, um, uh, although archery competitions is how he catches Robin well, Hood, right? You know, true. so yeah, maybe yeah, he's going to be for it. It'll, it'll be like a bootleggers and Baptist coalition. <laughs> absolutely absolutely well we shouldn't laugh because this is pretty devastating for kids who you know they're, they're the article that we originally saw here was out of uh, jenkins kentucky about uh a student in letcher county who is uh it just said that archery is my life and that that happens to kids you know for me it was yes. high school debate other kids it's football whatever but 
if the thing that makes you want to come to school and keeps you focused and this student said, look, uh, you have to maintain a certain GPA in order to be on the archery team. And that was that's what's been motivating me to come to school and really focus on my studies because I don't want to be left out of these archery competitions. So there, this is not just about uh, guns and 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 uh, and bows and arrows. This is this is a question of education uh, as well. And I think uh, my takeaway here, John, I think you're absolutely right. This is not this is a this is a matter of sloppy legislating. It's not a matter of of administrative excess here. Uh, my message to Capitol Hill would be: wake up and do your job and read the law before you vote on it. I mean, I think the language is pretty clear when you read it. Yep. Wouldn't have taken very much imagination at all in order to figure out that there was a problem here uh, and to reach out to, to some, you know, the, the National Archery in the Schools program, as mentioned in this article, reach out to some folks and say, hey, would this affect you? And you would have found out that it would. Yeah. So uh, it's not always the administrative state's fault. We, this is a rare message here because uh, we did look at it and I said, well, you know, it does say that. We'll be back in 